And time now to join Alida Robinson and Pastor Samuel of a reasonable Christianity. Well, I'm going to be unreasonable and say I don't do a very good impression of Alida Robinson. <laughs> good morning. Hi, it's Pete, Pete Stanton standing in for Alida who's away for the weekend. And welcome, Pastor Samuel. Good to see you. Thank you, Peter. It's good to be here. I'm absolutely excited. It's one of those Sundays again. It's one of those Sundays again. <laughs> and um, yes, I thought, I, I thought I'd have a Sunday off, but it didn't quite work that no, way. No, it didn't work, did it? Man, they, you've been talking about this Ten Commandments. I have indeed. That's only a small subject, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and you're talking about it as a moral code. You're talking about civil and um, ceremonial law. And you, I think you spoke uh, from Exodus 20, and the Lord your God spoke these words. Yes. But this week we're going to head into the first commandment. We are indeed. Um, so we've started this journey from the time the question was asked uh, to looking at, at uh, whether the Ten Commandments were still relevant mm. today. Uh, and the question doesn't seem uh, as though it's worth asking, but it is uh, from the ask of point of view because... You know, you notice that even from the Christian fold, you know, some commandments are religiously followed, like thou shalt not murder or thou shalt not, you know, bear false witness. But the commandments like, you know, observe the Sabbath. They've gone by the board, haven't they, yeah, for a lot yeah. of people. What do we do with that, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, or, you know, honor your mother and father. You know, most people don't really know exactly what that commandment is and how to really go about it. Mm-hmm. So it, it is therefore important to revisit this commandment. And and the other thing that was looked at was the fact that, hey, look, these commandments are in the Old Testament. And we're New Testament Christian anyway. You know, who, you know, we, we shouldn't be following the Old Testament. We're not under the law. Exactly. And so... The, question, the, the point was to look at, well, what does Paul mean when he says we're not under the law? Did he mean we're no longer under the moral law of God, that the Ten Commandments is part, the, part of the core body of the moral law of God? And so we had to basically very, uh, look very quickly differentiate between the moral law of God in the Ten Commandments and the 613 laws, uh, civil laws of Israel, which included ceremonial and civil law, and, you know, dietary laws. So, you know, what, how your food should be prepared, how it should be killed, you know, the kind of kosher law and so on and so forth. Now, it's something actually I found uh, it was important for me to point out to our listeners is that even when it, beca- it comes to the food laws and the civil laws and ceremonial laws of Israel, you notice that the ceremonial laws were to do with, you know, the Day of Atonement, you know, when it comes to Yom Kippur, how does it, how is it done? You take the animal and the sins of the people must be confessed on the animal, and then the animal must be, you know, uh, uh, killed so that the blood, without shedding of blood, there is no uh, forgiveness of sins. And Christ himself stepped in as our sacrificial lamb, and therefore you can see the principle was fulfilled. The principle was fulfilled with Christ as a substitutionary, you know, atoning sacrifice. So it's not as though somehow these laws had become useless and, and obsolete. No, they were principles behind the civil and the dietary and the ceremonial law. Do you think as you look at the person of Christ and his actions and the way that he conducts himself, etc., the law is summed up in those things, isn't it? Exactly. So in, in other words, when, when we look at him and we study him, 
we see what the law was anyhow. Yeah, yeah. And it is true that when you look at it, Christ fulfilled the requirement of the moral law because him, the Bible says, him who knew no sin. So he didn't sin. He fulfilled every single requirement of the moral law. Christ fulfilled every single requirement of the ceremonial law. Okay? He fulfilled those. And so when it comes to the ceremonial law, because it had to do with the atoning of our sins, therefore Christ fulfilled it all that we don't have to be killing animals anymore. And that, that's summed up in that word in, in Hebrews, isn't it? Once and for all. Hapax. Yes. Once and for, and all. for all. That's it. And so in his fulfillment of the moral law of God was so that now the world as God created it still needs to live under the moral law of God. So it does mean that the, living the moral law of God acquires you salvation. It doesn't. We are, not, we are saved by him to live a life unto him. See, that's how our Apostle Paul puts it. So we are saved by him to live a life unto him. So to live a life that is worthy of Christ, therefore we need to live by the moral law of God. That's why the Ten Commandments are still very, very important right now. Okay, And Jesus did sum up uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, he, he, he gave a summary statement uh, in love your neighbor as yourself. So when we finish the Ten Commandments, I'm going to do that summary so you can see why it is necessary, necessarily a, sum, uh, a summary of all the Ten Commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. But very often, as it is becoming our culture today, we have a definition of love that just ends into errors, pretty much. Our love is the sentimental feeling, the feeling, the niceness of the feeling of the agreement. You know, you agree with someone, you like them. And that's what when we say, what most people think when Christ says, when the Lord says, love your neighbor as yourself, it means have those really warm, fuzzy feeling toward your neighbor, right? Well, no, I'm not jumping ahead of myself here, but I can just make this point right here. If that was the case, nobody nobody has those fuzzy, warm, sentimental feelings toward their enemies, do they? they Jesus said, love your enemy, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, because love is misunderstood, love is better summarized within, in fact, the entire summary of the Ten Commandments as understood by rabbinic Judaism was understood as the law of love. A lot of people say these days we're still under the Judeo-Christian ethic. Yes. And that is true. Yes. That is true. Basically, our society is built as a society that is built on the Judeo-Christian ethical basis. And so, you know, it's called ethical monotheism, uh, which means one God gave these, you know, laws by which we ought to live and abide by. And so that's very, very important. And, and as you were saying last time, uh, we looked at the way the Ten Commandments are presented in Hebrews, and they start with um, the statement, the introductory statement, which says, And the Lord spoke all these words. Now, remember that uh, a point that I made already earlier on, which is in Hebrew, the word that is used for commandment here is a word that means statement or word. Okay, so in other words, and the Lord gave this statement. 
That's how it should be basically read. And the Lord gave these statements. So the Hebrews look at it as the ten statements. They are called the ten words or the ten statements. And so we looked at why uh, the uh, text in Exodus starts that way. I'm not going to repeat that. Uh, it's to say if God did not give these statements, there will not be a moral code and a moral duty to us. Why? Because for them to be a moral duty to us, they must be given by an authority higher than human being. Because if it was an, a human being who gave these statements, another human being can pike up and say, well, who are you for me to follow what you have to say? Well, it was not given by a society, by a culture, social mores, because social mores change all the time. And a, a culture can come up that says, well, we don't believe in your culture. What are you going to do about that? For example, when the uh, Nuremberg trial happened, uh, to, to judge the Nazi scientists and the people who committed those crime during Nazism, uh, the judges at the Nuremberg trial, uh, had, they had to judge these people. And they, their argument was, look, we were just obeying the laws of our country according to the ethics of our society. So who are you people who come in here and judge us? And they say, no, we're not judging you by the standard of your society. We're judging you by the moral law of God. Big difference. That's a difference. Because the moral law of God, everybody must bow to it. You see, because God is higher than human. So it's not by the laws of each country, because we've noticed that laws can be unjust. We, can, we, had, we had slavery laws, segregation laws. The law is not always right. This is why sometimes, but this is legal. I'm like, it may be legal, but it is not necessarily moral. Because any law, as uh, Aristotle would say, that is not built on a necessary foundation of morality is unjust and immoral. So it can't be by law. Uh, it can't be by society. It cannot be by evolution. So we looked at that for those of our listeners over there. So only God had the authority to speak these commandments. So what's the first commandment um, we're going to look at right here today? The first commandment is the verse number 2 in your Exodus chapter 20. And it read this way. I am the Lord your God. I am the one who freed you from the land of Egypt, from the land or the house of slavery. So I was looking at the version that I, I'm looking at reading here. Uh, it's an it's a, it's a ERV, so it didn't bring my, my uh, your beloved text that I often use. But so basically, this is not counted by the Christian tradition as a commandment. Because the Christian, uh, Christian tradition and the Hebrew tradition look at these commandments very differently. So I'm going to show that difference there. But I wanted to sort of remember this is the first commandment. In the Hebrew tradition, the, these are ten statements. And the first statement is, I am the Lord your God who freed you from the land of Egypt, from the house of slaves. And that is the place to start. That's where we're going to start. So we, we, we can then open it up and nut it out. That's a bit of music from uh, Stormzy. This is uh, Blinded by Your Grace. I'm blinded by your grace Every night, every day And I was lost, yeah But ever since you found me 
your grace Through the darkness you came And I'll be alright With you by my side The way that I see it You're all that I need your love never lets me down Your love never leaves me out And when I'm losing faith And there is nowhere left to turn I pray you won't let me down I pray you won't let me down I'm blinded by your grace Every night, every day And I was lost, yeah But ever since you found me I'm blinded by your grace Through the darkness you came And I'll be alright With you by my side So don't walk away from me now It's a very gentle song, isn't it? Uh, Stormzy is the, the group and it's called Blinded by Your Grace Part 1 So there's a part 2 to come Talking of part 2 I'm uh, with, of course, uh, Samuel from uh, A Reasonable Christianity And we're talking about law and morals and all of those and ethics, etc. And commandment number one from the Ten Commandments. That's exactly right. Commandment number one. And commandment number one, uh, you know, starts with "I am the Lord your God." Now, this is quite an interesting uh, commandment, and the way the Lord basically phrases this particular commandment here. And I wanted to notice that uh, in in the in the uh, Christian tradition, uh, the commandment is uh, laid starting from verse 3, you know, um, which say that, you know, you, you, you shall not have another God before me. You shall not uh, make an image in heaven or on earth and so on and so forth. So the Christian tradition divides that one commandment, you shall not have another God before me. Uh, the Christian tradition divide that particular one into two. That's how you still get Ten Commandments, even though they start with one commandment short. Okay? And whereas the Jewish tradition starts with, I am the Lord your God who freed you from the land of slavery and from the land of bondage. And so, since the Hebrew is the original, okay, since the Hebrew is the original, in fact, this is a Hebraic text, and so it is better to... Uh, to analyze this text according to the Hebrew tradition. It is the best way to go, and you will see why. few points that I'm going to be uh, making uh, as I'm making this case. Number one, when the Lord say, I am the Lord your God, uh, there is an interesting form. I'm not going to bore uh, yeah, okay, I'm not going to borrow you, but I, I'm not going to read you the Hebrew, uh, but I'm going to tell you what the Hebrew says, So, uh, which would be a, a fantastic thing there. Now, you see, 
when he says, I am the Lord your God, this doesn't, it, it doesn't have an injunction. It's not just a statement. It is a flat out statement. I'm the Lord your God. Who took you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, or out, the, Jew, the Jewish texts read, out of the house of slaves. Very interesting reading. Now, that simple statement has got a couple of points that are extremely important. And the Hebrew tradition recognized this is the mother of all commandment. In fact, the authority of every other commandment flows from this one. It flows from that particular statement. How? You see, the Lord says, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. And that's where everything starts. I am the Lord. And that is, may I just go back from, from the Hebrew to yes. the Greek? Yes. That is the great ego, ego amy, isn't it? Yes. Ego, I am. Yes, I am. And it's the same, the same word that is used by Jesus yes. as I am the light. That's, I am the way. That's exactly ego right. Ego amy. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so uh, when the Lord say, I am the Lord, he establishes a statement that must be either true or false. Either he's the Lord or he's not. And so, if I am the Lord, if I am the Lord, then that, what I have just said here, is true. Okay? So, the first, the weight of the first commandment is the value of truth. The value of truth. He is the Lord. You will see the Lord said when I look at the second commandment, I am the Lord, there is no other. There has never been God before me. There will never be a God after me. There is no one like me. I am the Lord. And so that statement they establishes, at least from a Jewish tradition, the pursuit for truth. Not feelings, not how I feel about him, not how, why is that relevant today? Well, it is so relevant. We live in a society that is so feeling-based. And, and it, this is not the first time we have a feeling-based society. Feeling-based society have be, always been here. Even the Roman society was fundamentally feeling-based. Mm -hmm. And even Roman laws were established based on what the emperor felt like that day. So, <laughs> and so the pursuit of truth that has established the, the way the Western world and Western traditions have carried and carry themselves, he's built on the fundamental Judeo-Christian traditional belief that truth is whole and separate from people, from human beings, and it has a source. And that truth is one. It is God. God is the ultimate reality. So that him as the ultimate reality, he defines and he reveals to us what reality is. And when we want to know what reality is framed like, God is the point of reference, not me. Not, okay, well, this is my truth. See, the relativism we've ended up with in our society today, your truth, my truth, it is, a, it is a subjective. By that it means it is built on a subject. So not only did the Lord say, I, you know, and the Lord spoke these words to say, these words, these commandments must come from God for them to be commandment at all. Now he's saying these commandments are built on truth because I am the Lord. 
I am the Lord your God. I am the ground. So philosophers call this the ontological problem. You know, is God is the ground of all being. Is the ground of all reality. He is the reality. See, when Apostle Paul say in him we live and move and have our being, see, only God exists. We become. We are temporal becomers. See, and, and this statement is so rich. I am the Lord your God. Let me now add, so that's I am the Lord. Let's go to your God. The Hebrew formulation of your, you see, when, you, when you're studying English, you know, I can say your chair to mean the chair of one person. Mm -hmm. But I can also say your chair to mean the chair that belongs to that family. Mm -hmm. So the your can be singular and can be plural. Okay? Now, that's how English is, is, and that's why we miss certain things. In Hebrew, it's not like that. When he says, I am the Lord, your, it means your, personal, one singular personal. And he establishes a very interesting point. He didn't say, I'm your God, you Israelite, you all the Jews who are assembled here. No, when he says, I, I am your God, he means I am your personal each individual here has to adhere to my commands and recognize the truth that I am the Lord, regardless of whoever else doesn't want to recognize it. The reason being is that it is very, very easy and very, uh, you know, it, it happens very often for people to be swayed by masses. I was just this week, finishing this week, I watched an experiment that was done, a uh, psychological experiment. It was done in the 1960s to see how easily people can be swayed by the opinion of the masses. So they bring about five subjects into the room and they do line drawings. And so there was one line to the left and three lines to the right. And one of the lines to the right was the same length as the line to the left. But... Many of the subjects in the room were actors. Only one subject was being studied. Mm -hmm. And so they asked the people, which line among the three lines here to the right is the same length as the line to the left? And the actors gave the wrong answer, which was obviously wrong. And so the subject that was being studied first stood his ground. He said, no, not line one, line two. And everybody looked at him like, are you out of your mind? Mm -hmm. And so then they gave him the sec second test. Everybody gave the wrong answer. And now he was no longer feeling comfortable or confident in himself because he doesn't want to be rebuked by the other people in the room. So he gave the wrong the, the answer that he knew to be wrong. So the, the line on the left was you know, the same as the line, uh, the line here. And then there are three lines here. And he knew the line that was right length, but everybody gave the wrong answer. Guess what? He like sheepishly went, uh, line two. And so you could see he wasn't convinced it was the truth, but he wanted to be liked and not be rebuked by his society. What is established here was that righteousness of God, the recognition that only God is God, could be a matter of even one single person standing in Israel after the entire nation had gone astray. That almost explains in my mind that the whole Nazi movement during the Second World War. Yes. How did one man get that all moving? Yes. And then away it went. Yes. And people believed in this one man. Exactly. It's, and an evil man. Exactly. Because 
Once you've got a very charismatic leader who can then pull a number of, like, it's mob justice. These days, think about it. I know a lot of people who they have a certain point of view about matters that are happening in our culture today. But they cannot voice their point of view about it because why? If they do, they'll be shunned by their friends. They'll be ostracized. They'll be criticized so suddenly. So here is, I am the Lord your God. I am the ground for truth and I am your God. You must sit and be grounded in truth regardless of whoever around you is going astray. This is the commandment that is given to the children of Israel. This is the mother of all commandments, and we still got more to say. What about going to newsboys and holy, 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 I am.
back to uh, 2014 and that's the great sound of the newsboys and holy, holy, holy. Exactly yes. what we're talking about. That's exactly right. I am the great I am. I am. That's it. And, and, and everyone, when you look at the word holy there, the word holy uh, in, you know, chadosh, uh, chadosh uh, in Hebrew, it, it, it does mean, it does not mean without sin because you don't, you know, God is not understood as holy as compared to sin because it, it doesn't have sin in him. And even before sin was, God was holy. See, the Bible says that the the elders uh, and the four creatures before the throne of God and all God's angels, day and night, cast their crown from eternity past, saying, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. Even before Adam was created, God was holy. Before Adam ever sinned, God was holy. So often when we say God is holy, we always think sin. Sin, then holy. It's like the concept of sin and then explains what is ho- now. To be holy is to be unique, to be set apart. So all the ancient in heaven saying, you are unique in your category. No one is like you. He is the self-existent one. The one from whom every other being draw its existence. You are holy. You are unique. You are the necessary being. And the fantastic thing is that uh, we can be holy like him. That's exactly right. That's the key, isn't it? So, which is where I would say a very good segue, my brother, they, uh, into the point I was going to make as we, we finished. Uh, the point I'm making here is when he says, here is how it is read, read in, in Hebrew, Anochi Adonai Elohecha. So, which means, I am the Lord your God. And I was saying that it is your God. It say is it again. singular. Say, say it again for me. Anochi Adonai Elohecha. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and so it is it is your God singularly. It means he invites you to recognize him as the ground of all being, the source of absolute truth, objective truth, and to trust him. Like, trust him personally, not trust him because someone else next to me trust him. Trust him. You know, it's like you, you, we've had a generation of people who believed in the God that their parents believed in. It is why we have seen this massive exodus of people who are now like, I'm no longer believing in that. Why did you believe it in the first place? Oh, no, my, my mom and dad, my pop used to take me to church. Um, so like, oh, my pop used to take me to church and that's why I go to church. You know, that, that has been sort of the way, um, uh, people have built their faith on the faith of others. You know, you hear Job saying, I had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. You know, there is the place of an invitation to commitment to the ground of all being who is Adonai alone. God alone. So I am the Lord your God. So this kind of trust then makes you come and live in Him. You see, you can't live without truth. I'll say that again. This is, we live and die for truth every single day. When you go and buy a bottle of, you know, or you grab a, a medication at, at, the, at the pharmacy, uh, you grab it under the assumption that it's not like uh, it's it, it can be medication for me, but poison for you kind of thing. You know, you go, you know, is this medication or is it not? And if, if it is medication, you taking the med, if it's aspirin, it is objectively aspirin. 
Okay. Unless somebody is allergic to, to the medication, but it doesn't mean that the medication is not medicated. For example, if we're going down this road and a, the, uh, a car is coming at 60 kilometers an hour, before you cross the road, you go to check because you know objectively that if that car hits you, you'll be dead. So every decision you make every day, you make it in light of truth. Now, if you turn to make decision in light of your emotions, it may go so, so long or you feel nice for a bit, but then truth will catch up with you. You know, Francis Schaeffer used, used to say, you'll bump into reality. And if you bump into reality, it hurts. Right? And so God is saying, well, you don't have to end up hurting yourself. Bumping into reality, that is going to break you. I am the source of all reality. If you are in me, you will know the truth. Remember Jesus used to say, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so, in that sense, God is the ground of all being, and he is the one who calls us to a personal commitment to faith, trust in him. And that's how we are holy. We are sanctified by the truth. John chapter 17, Jesus said, Lord, sanctify them by your word. Your word is the truth. So our sanctification is a consequence of being united with Christ, being united with Adonai, and being in him. Any society that is in him will not bump into reality because it is going alongside with reality. When we start to legislate and write laws that don't reflect reality, there's plenty of it right now going on in our society. We'll talk about it when we come to certain commandments. And so you will then start to bump into reality and you can be stubborn. You can continue to rationalize and continue to head like we all like sheep, you know, went, went his own way. You can continue to go like that until your society will be totally wiped out. Because when he says, I am the Lord, he didn't say, I am Yahweh. That's his revelation to the children of Israel as per his name. He said, I am Adonai, Elohim. In other words, otherwise, I am the judge of the entire universe. So at the end of the day, anyone who doesn't respect this commandment will face the judge of all living. Can we, can we just go back for one second? There's the difference between Adonai and Elohim. Yes. Say that again for us. Now, so when he says, I am Adonai, Adonai is the way the, the Jews uh, said is the Lord. Adonai means the Lord. And so Elohim is the creator of all things. And in fact, the word Elohim is a plural of Eloi. Right, So Elohim is basically the totality of all beings. So I am your God, the judge of the entire universe. But here's the way God then takes it, he narrows it down. He doesn't say, I am the Lord, your God, who created the universe. That's not how he says it. He says, I'm the Lord, your God, who took you out of the land of bondage. In other words, I freed you from slavery. And he goes on to say, from the house of slaves. When you read it in, in English, it doesn't make sense. Or out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. No, the Hebrew reads out of the land of slaves because the Egyptians themselves were slaves. Slaves to their own mores. Slaves to the, they didn't have the freedom. They didn't have the freedom. They could, the Egyptians couldn't be free because they did not have God and only freedom is found in God. And the Hebrews recognized they were descendants of Ham one of the sons of Noah. So they were a, 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 a descendant of slaves who were slaves themselves. Then who made the, the 
God's people into slaves. So it's like, well, I took you out of the lowest place you could have gone. You have, it's like when you look at it today, you know, we are enslaving ourselves. It's, a, it's, a, it's something really painful to watch. When the church of God, the redeemed, those that Christ has redeemed from the slavery, from the bondage of sin, who then go and subject themselves to a world that is riddled by sin. You know, for the sake of being nice to the world, and we when the Bible says no, you know, don't be among the, don't don't live like like the world does. You know, do not conform, but be transformed. You, know, I beseech you by the mercies of God, Apostle Paul, right, to not be conformed, but to be transformed by the renewal of the mind. So you find yourself a world that is already slave to sin, and the church is making itself slave to that world. Watch this little cartoon which says, well, the church is stubborn. Society is going this way and the church is going the opposite. How about you get in line, be relevant, we say. No, we cannot become slaves to those who are already slaves. See, the children of Israel were slaves to a house of slaves. And so he says, I took you out of there. You've got to remember that. It is not your money, it is not your whatever else that took you from bondage into freedom. I, why, why did he take them into freedom? Because God actually prizes our freedom. Don't let anyone take you slave, Apostle Paul used to say, now that you are free. It's for freedom that Christ set you free, right? Mm. So now that we are free because God honors freedom. We see, when God made Adam and Eve, the thing that he gave them the most is freedom, the freedom to make the decision. God loves individual freedom because without it, love is impossible. See, God is love, right? And if we're going to love God, remember, Ten Commandments is a commandment of love. If we're going to love God, we have to be free to love Him. And therefore, He takes them out of the land of slavery and He says, here is my, because I have freed you, this is the best way for you to live free. And anyone who doesn't abide by these commandments is selling themselves into a land of bondage. I'm hearing in my head all the time, relationship, relationship. It's not a set of laws. It is, but it isn't. It's yes. relationship with God Almighty. That's exactly right. Yeah. Let's pause for a bit of music. This one is Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. <laughs> Why don't you swing, swing down chariot, stop and let me ride. Swing down chariot, stop and let me ride. Rock me, Lord, rock me, Lord, I'm calm and easy. I got a home on the other side. Why don't you swing down, sweet chariot, stop and let me ride. Swing down chariot, stop and let me ride. Rock me, Lord. Particular about the chariot wheels. You just wanted to see how 
a chariot feel Why don't you swing down chariot Stop and let me ride Swing, swing down chariot Stop and let me ride Rock me, Lord, rock me, Lord dancing and swinging here. Oh, amazing. Just got an, a, an email, a text from Ray, our <laughs> operations manager, and you got it, man. We were singing along and dancing here. <laughs> Great song. Uh, Swing Down Chariot from the uh, Bill Gaither vocal band yeah. with uh, Mr. Beastman there. <laughs> we're talking about love. We're talking about relationship with yes. uh, Pastor Samuel yes. from A Reasonable Christianity. Yes. And so you were making an interesting point, Peter, there uh, before we we start swinging and dancing to the sweet chariot, uh, that you hear relationship. You hear relationship. Even the way it is phrased in Hebrews, it basically say, hey, I took you out of the land of bondage, out of the land of slavery, so you would express gratitude toward me. But why did I do this? It's because I had a covenant with your forefathers. I promised this to my friend Abraham. And so I took you out of there between you. It's not sort of or just the, these laws that you have to abide by without any certain sense to it. You know, this is a relationship. So you, when you come into me as truth, you trust in me, you live in me, and so you conduct yourself this way. We have this great relationship. This is just love reaching out, isn't it, and grasping. Yes, exactly. yeah. And it is, this is why it's a mistake uh, to have heard uh, some Christians who, who have said, well, you, the God of the New Testament is a lot more a God of love, and, and the God of the Old Testament is a lot more of a... The, actually, this has become quite a... Um, it's quite a, a, a widespread belief, unfortunately, among some evangelicals, but mostly among the Pentecostals. Uh, people say, we, we're no longer the law, we're under grace. But what they don't realize, it's a serious heresy. Uh, you know, in, in the year uh, 140, there was a gentleman called Martian. Marcion, 
So it's not Martian, it's somebody coming from Mars. Marcion, Marcion started to teach uh, exactly this, this particular heresy that is going on these days, uh, which sort of most people who go, they disregard the Old Testament. They think, oh, yeah, well, we, we're New Testament Christian, you know. Marcion did only accept for the intent and purpose of his teaching, uh, you know, Marcion accepted uh, the letters of Paul, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, and, and that's pretty much his way he stopped. And then the rest, the Old Testament, now, he said there's a big, big difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. So, therefore, we should not be paying attention. He just about, you know, 110, 105 years after the Lord had come and lived and died and rose from the dead. But the God of the Old Testament is looking forward always to the Messiah, to the cross. That's exactly right. And so it is exactly the same God. The, the, the love of God, see, for example, the, the, he, the Jews used to uh, cite the Shema before the Ten Commandments or sometimes straight after the Ten Commandments. So they would go, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6, I think it's 6, 4 or 4, 6, if my memory is good. Shema O Israel, Adonai Elohecha, Adonai Echad. So they would sh- cite the Shema before the Ten Commandments to establish that there is one God. He is our God. It is, he's not only our God as a corporate body and nation, but He's our God as individual. Adonai Elohecha is our God. God. And so when you read Mark chapter 12, verse 29 and 30, a, a, a man of law came to ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And how does Jesus cite the greatest commandment? He starts by the Shema. Shema, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, or the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema, O Israel, Adonai, Elohecha, Adonai, Echad. So you can see that the God of the Old Testament, he's a relational God. I don't know how people stuck into their head that he's a legalistic God. Well, and by the way, laws are established on the basis of relationship. For example, we live in Australia right now, and we have Australian laws. If somebody comes to Australia, they live in Australia, and they abide by Australian laws. Do you think it's because Australia hates them? Is it because Australia is just mean and what? No, it's because the laws of Australia keeps Australia Australia and it makes sure that this is a well-organized society. So when God has his children and he puts them together, he establishes the way they should live with one another. But you see, if they lived with one another without having him as the ground of all being, Anyone who could come up and establish that they were more powerful than anybody else, they could just change whatever law they wanted. And by the way, if you look at the history of Israel, it has always been like that. Where some king comes up and he doesn't want to hearken unto the laws of God and he wants to establish his own laws and they persecute God's prophets, you know, kill them, do whatever. We have plenty. Think of Ahab and Jezebel, for example, as a story. And so I can give tons of examples. This is why the establishment of the law, it's like one of the reasons why people object against the law is they assume that the moral lawgiver is an evil master who just wants to subjugate us. But when you understand that the moral lawgiver is the one who loves us 
and he wants us to live a peaceful life, a life of harmony, a life of coherence. If we lived in a society which had no laws, there'd be chaos. And so you can see there that by looking at that statement, this is why the, the first commandment is the mother of all commandments. And this, this particular uh, commandment invites Israel into eternal life. That's another thing. This, within rabbinical tradition, it has always been known that this is the law of eternal life. Why? Because it draws you into Adonai. It makes you and Adonai solid in your relationship. And so now that you know is Adonai, your God, is the ground of all being and all truth. When you're in him, you live eternally. You see? So we may, we may think to ourselves, well, it's only Jesus who came and talked about eternal life. No, no, no. Eternal life was all the way through the Old Testament, known, accepted, and believed. When Jesus gave the example of Lazarus and the and the um, the rich man, Lazarus and the rich man died, and uh, Lazarus ended up in Ed, Abraham's bosom. What do you think Jesus meant by Abraham's bosom? It means eternity with God. And so, you, you, you're reading this. Uh, Jesus said that he's a he's a Jew. And is reading from the Torah, whatever Jesus was talking about, when he said to them, Scripture can't be broken. Guess which Scripture he was talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. And so you can find that just that one statement is absolutely packed with a lot of goodness there. And so once you start to understand the Ten Commandments from this angle, you start to appreciate that each one of these statements... Uh, somebody, I heard a, a theologian make a comment that was quite significant. He said the Ten Commandments are to morals what physical laws are to the functioning of our material universe. There is something called the teleology. Like the teleological argument is made on the fine-tuning of the universe. So that the, the universe needed to be fine-tuned, and we find, for example, like the gravitational constant. You know, we find the laws like law of gravity, the, you know, all, all the, the laws that hold the universe together. You know, the, the strong and the weak force, uh, weak centrifugal force, the, the laws that bind the atoms together, and so on and so forth. These laws are so vital that if you had to move any of this law, even by a sort of the, you know, they balance on a razor's edge, so that if you move even by 1 to the power of 10, uh, 20, okay, just a little bit, that on a razor's edge, the thinness, basically the universe will collapse on itself. So this theologian was making the case that the moral law of God is to human living as the laws of physics are to the survival of the universe. If you remove the moral law of God, there will be no human race left. You see, we are humans. We are not like beasts. We're not animals. And that's the difference between the imago dei, image bearers of the image of God, as opposed to the animals that are not bearers of the image of God. And that makes a tremendous difference because we are image bearers. We are sons and daughters of God. Therefore, we live in him. We join him in his eternality. We join him in his holiness. This is why the human race is sanctified. Okay? The human race is... I've seen... Actually, the more we walk away from these commandments, the more we start to think that animals are just like humans, you know? 
This is an entire, and this is probably people in the in a Western culture might not like me for saying this, but truth be said, no animal. I don't mind. I, I don't mind whether it's the cute your cute cat or your lovely dog. Uh, no animal. He's like a human being. Human beings bear the image of God. That's why unto them he gave his moral law. Never gave it to the animals. Life 105.1 Wish we could turn back time Flashback Probably too young to remember that one. 1979. Back. Oh no, I was already born. <laughs> I'm, I'm older than that for sure. <laughs> it was Kelly Willard, and we'll blame it on the one I love. Let's <laughs> right. blame it on Jesus. Yes. Come on, that's exactly right. And so, <clears throat> as, as 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 sort of coming coming to 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 a close here, remember the things that I've said. So. Uh, the Lord says here, as I was reading, Anochi Adonai Elohecha. I am the Lord, your God. And so to mean that I am the ground of all being, I am the source of all truth. And so uh, 
and I am your personal God so that truth would matter to you. And I am your God so that you will get to build a relationship with truth, that you will pursue truth. Do not let your emotions getting into the way of the pursuit of truth because emotions will carry you so far and they will let you down. So that is why the building up of a great society like the Western society was built on truth, the pursuit for truth. It's what made science possible. Even our pursuit of religious truth is because there is truth out there to be found. It's not in a guru somewhere because Jesus is the way and the truth. So Adonai is the truth. And he goes on to say, Say, I am the only one who took you out of the land, land of slavery. In, in other words, I am the one who prizes your freedom. Look, you don't need to make yourself slave to money, to drug, to sex, to whatever. These things, someone used to say, there is a big God shape hole in the man's heart. And whatever you try to fill it with, it will not fill the shape of Adonai. And so he's like, I'm inviting you. I am going to set you free from all these things that are trying to keep you tied down and a slave and so that you can join me and be in this relationship with me. If you accept him to be your deliverer, see, the children of Israel had to accept the fact that he sent Moses to deliver them. So he took them out of the land of slavery that way. And so you got to accept that. And when he, when he delivers you, the first commandment therefore goes on to say, actually that first statement can be read this way. I am the Lord your God. I am your only deliverer, the one who loves and personally chose you. And so this is called by the in Jewish tradition the commandment of Hemunah. Hemunah is the commandment of faith, the commandment of trust. Yeah? So the mother of all commandment is the commandment of trust. Is that I have personally delivered you. I am the one who chose you to deliver you. And therefore, come and be in a personal relationship with me. And I'll walk with you until you make him your own God. You God, the God you are experientially know, uh, knowing. Then you will always be swayed by whatever is happening in a culture. And that is the ground we're called to stand on. The first commandment. I hate it the way time just runs out. It's been absolute delight, Pastor Samuel, from Reasonable Christianity. Alita Robinson will be back next week. Uh, it's been a really great sharing with you. Look forward to it between uh, 12 and 1 for a Reasonable Christianity. What, to- what time's church on today at your church? Yeah, 5 p.m. we start at uh, 237 High Street across from Woolies. So it'll continue on in this great, uh, great truth. Fantastic. Great to have you, mate. Thank you so much.